Well, good morning, Calvary. How are you? That's right. This is apparently is the screaming service today, so we're excited about that. That was awesome. I love to see people excited when they give baptisms. And uh, Williams, it's been a blessing to get to know him. Um, as w- I work with the college students, he's one of our college students. The college students who are having finals this week, don't let them get you down. You got this, all right? And we will miss you for those of you who are going away. When you come back, we will be ready for you. There's so much going on, so much going on that's good. We're excited about everything that's going on. Um, we continue to grow. We continue to see God move in some amazing ways. But here's the reality. God can be moving all around you. And I said this before, but I'll say it again. God can be moving all around you. He can be moving mightily in the life of your spouse. He can move mightily in the life of your friend. He can move mightily in your neighbor's house. He can move mightily in your kid's life. And you can miss it. And so just this morning, I I really want to invite you into the presence of God. To let him speak to you. But I also want you to be real. I want to be real with you that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, right? Because one of these days, I'm actually going to preach a series, and I'm going to entitle the series, Having the Perfect Week. That's, that's the goal of the series. And the reason I want to have a series called Having the Perfect Week is because whatever I preach on, I'm having to work on. And so I want to work on having the perfect week. But this series has been called Dwell. And I really had to, to work on finding my peace in the presence while trying to talk to you about having peace in the middle of everything. And the idea of dwelling in the presence of God and, and letting it change you um, is revolutionary. And I don't think we really understand what it means unless we really go there. But let's look at Philippians 4.8 as we kind of do a little review for those who've been gone. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. We've been going through the true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, and today we're going to cover two other words, and we've been asking you to dwell there. And the idea of dwelling is it's a familiar place. It should feel safe, a place that you want to be. And these uh, two verses, and it's particularly 4.8 and then going into 4.9, we, we really understand the whole picture of the gospel and that the gospel just stands for good news about what it should look like for us as followers of Jesus to live and to follow him. And so let's do a little review. Here's what we covered the first week. We asked you to recognize and recognizing where your mind dwells, to realize that, that you are influenced by this world, whether you like it or not. Facebook influences you if you're on Facebook. So you're like, I'm not on Facebook. Good for you. Then Instagram or Snapchat or whatever social media influences you. The news influences you. Your friends influence you. And in doing so, we need to recognize that as followers of Jesus, the main influence that we should have in our life, the main understanding of what it means to follow Christ should be God himself. And so recognize, are you allowing God to shape your life? And then when you're not, repent. Repenting when it's not of God. Repenting when your life goes the way you shouldn't. When you're living in an unjust and an impure way. Repenting means choosing to do the right thing. Turning away from the way that you were living. And Trevor did a great job talking about that. And then restoring humanity to its dignity. The place that God wants us to dwell. The place that from the beginning of time God has wanted you to be in. Which is at peace with him. Do you get that? You see, you and I were made in the image of God, and God wants us to be at peace. And we struggle with that. We go through that, and we want to understand what this looks like. So last week, we gave you some restoration applications, and here's what they were. We wanted you to learn someone's name 
that you wouldn't normally learn and listen to their story. I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I would love to know if you catch me afterwards, did you do that? And the reason I ask that is because I think sometimes we can come to church and we go, yes, pastor, preach, or Daniel, or I don't remember his name, but he has red hair, that guy. We, we love this idea of following God, but do you actually do it? I have to ask myself these same questions. Do you use your personal restoration story to help someone else? Did you spend some time this week letting God restore you? See, otherwise what we do is we just walk through the motions. And otherwise we just come here and we don't, we don't really change. And if we don't really change, we're not really going to dwell in the presence of God. What would it look like if we really came to the place where we said that we are going to follow God? And let Him change us. I think what would happen is we would be dwelling on that which is morally excellent. You see, that's the next line in the verse. And when you think of what is excellent, excellent is that of moral goodness or virtuousness. Living the life that you say you're living. Dwelling and following Christ like you say you are doing. It's easy to say, but not always easy to do. And, and to really unpack this a little more, I, I want you to ask yourself, could I live for a virtuous life when life gets hard? Okay, I've talked a little bit about the background of the, the church at Philippi, but can we go a little deeper today? Those of you who love history, buckle up. You're going to love this, okay? Those of you who don't, it's still going to be fun. Don't worry. Um, in Philippi, Philippi, which is the church that they're writing to, they were going through some great hardships. In fact, there's people who sit there and think there were big earthquakes at the time. It was once an affluent, thriving outskirt of a community that was kind of like a stopping point for a main thoroughfare for transportation and commerce. But they had some natural disasters that hit there. Most people think it was earthquakes. And, and everything literally crumbled around them. And in the middle of that, you see that the church was thriving. In the middle of those circumstances, Paul is sitting here going, Hey, rejoice in all things. And we find that they actually contribute in an enormous way to the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we hear the story of the Philippian, Philippian uh, people in the Philippi church. When he says this, Paul is writing to another church, the church of Corinth, explaining the ministry and the testimony of these people. Verse 1, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. And during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy. The book of Philippians is about having joy in difficult circumstances. And their extreme poverty overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. And I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. And said they gave themselves first to the Lord, then, then to us by God's will. Now some of you are like, oh great, is this a sermon about giving? No, it's not. It's really not. It's a sermon about understanding what it really means when you immerse yourself in the presence of God. We find at the end of verse 5, here's what it says. And not just that we'd hoped. Instead, what they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. First 
to the Lord. Not second, not a close second, but first. The reason they gave was they understood and they were enamored by the power of what God has done in their lives. They, they couldn't help themselves. It wasn't something they did out of obligation or guilt. It was like, God has done something amazing in my life and I want the world to know and I want to share in the ministry of what God is doing. See, if you're really going to dwell in the presence of God, you've got to give yourself first to the Lord. Can I say something a little bit with fear and trepidation? Knowing that it can be twisted, so listen carefully. Anything that isn't God, that you place preeminently above God, can be an idol. And is an idol. Even a spouse, or the desire for a spouse, even your kids, a promotion, a livelihood, a anything. So how can my kids be an idol? Because you put their interest above God's interest and ultimately miss out on what God wants for your life and your family. In other words, if you dwell with God and you live with God in such a way that he becomes the preeminent authority, the preeminent presence. When you dwell with him so closely in every single waking moment of your life, everybody around you will be changed. When you come to the place where you don't just sit here on Sunday morning going, he's worthy, and all that kind of stuff, and, and sing better than I just did. But when you come to the place where you really understand that God is worth everything, everything else around your life will change. So in order for you to really be at peace with God in life, I need you to understand he has to be the main authority of your life, the main priority of your life. And the church of Philippi was doing it. That's why they wanted to give. That's why they, they understood it. They, they grasped it. And, and it wasn't just about having a, a good church service, right? It wasn't just about seeing how many people they can get in the doors. And it, it was simply God was changing their life. Even though they were struggling. It wasn't just natural disasters they were struggling. We find in Acts chapter 16, Paul tells another story of a struggle of the church. And he describes this when he says, Once, as we were on our way to a prayer, a slave girl met us with a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. And as she followed Paul and cried out, These men, who are you proclaiming to you the way of salvation, are servants of the Most High. Now, here, that's what they're saying. Get that. They were, she was falling around. So here's a fortune teller who shouldn't be telling the people that is following God. But she was going around going, These men who are proclaiming salvation are servants of the Lord Most High. She did it over and over and over again. Here's what we find. Paul was greatly annoyed. I, anybody who doesn't know that the Bible is hilarious doesn't understand passages like this. I mean, that's like... Have you ever had the kid in your house or the kid in the neighborhood or that person at your work or the coworker or that friend who's like always right but annoyingly right? Like they're just sitting there whispering, Mom, you didn't do this right. Mom, you didn't do this right. Mom, I know I didn't do it right. You don't have to tell me, right? This woman was going around saying, These men are serving God. And Paul got annoyed. So he turned to the spirit in her. 
And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Problem here. When the owners realized that their hope of a prophet was gone. Why? Because it was the demon in her that was giving the future. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates or the judge. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against them. And the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Say, why was this difficult for the people at the church of Philippi? I mean, it was just, they dragged the preacher out. That'd be like them dragging you out, Daniel. Big deal. They beat the preacher. Some of you might want to see that. I hope not, but you know. Big deal. How does that affect my family? The, the, The preacher knew what he was doing. They dragged him out and they beat him. You do realize that that was going to affect the way they did their church. Now, here's the cool thing. Later that night, Paul's freed, ends up saving the jailer, ends up doing mighty things. They go around in the town and starts getting excited. Probably by an earthquake was how they were freed. Earthquakes. You see the pattern? How did they lose their livelihood in the first place? Earthquakes. Just point it out. And in the process, everything else crumbles around them. But here's the reality. There were still the people who used to own the girl, who used to fortune tell, and they didn't like the people. And so the church at Philippi was still under persecution by the people in the town saying, they're attacking our livelihood. They don't promote the way that we... And life was very, very difficult for them. They were a well-off group of people who lost everything. Literally came crumbling around them. Their life was difficult. Their life was a struggle. And then there were people who wanted to beat them. And Paul says, look back with me, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What had they seen? What, what did he say? Rejoice in these things and whatever you've seen me put into practice, do. They'd seen him dragged away, beaten, and thrown in jail. But rejoice. Have joy. You see, this series, this series we've challenged you how to handle the lies that in your life, that your life is the worst. And if we're really honest with ourselves, if I would ask you, do you really think your life is the worst? No one's hand would probably go up, maybe one person's hand. But the reality is, in the, in the middle of the night, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our despair, somewhere in the course of our life, we probably felt like no one has a life as difficult as I do right now. You know how? I know because... I've talked to enough people and I've lived it myself. And the enemy wants to whisper in our heads these lies that your life is awful, your life is bad, and and distract us. And God wants us to be at peace, to dwell there. But here's something I want to ask us. 
What if your life really does stink right now? I went to seminary to come up with that word. What is your life? What if your life really does stink right now? Is it okay to not be okay? Here's the answer. Yes. It's okay to not be okay. But here's the other part of that answer. It's okay to not be okay. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't. You ever know that person who's like, well, 14 years ago this happened to me. My life's the worst. Okay. It was 14 years ago. And you don't want to just go, come on. <laughs> because they're there where they are. But, but the enemy wants to whisper those lies into our head. And, and God wants you to be okay. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you to dwell with him. So what does that look like? Well, I think it means we live our life with excellence. Because when we think on that which is excellent, it compels us forward. So let me explain it to you like this. Last week we talked about what is commendable. And commendable, living a life that is commendable, dwelling on what is commendable, was challenging us to help and to act on helping others. You follow? Dwelling on what is commendable will draw us into a living a life that will help others. But dwelling on that which is excellent implies I will live with integrity even when others aren't, even if no one sees me. I will live the way God wants me to live regardless. And I can only do that by thinking on that which is excellent. Or let me put it to you another way. It's the place where we as Christians really live by this motto. I will not be defined by my situation. I will be defined by living for Christ. I will not be defined by the fact that I was divorced. I will not be defined by the fact that I was abused. I will not be defined by the fact that I was an addict. I will not be defined by what happened yesterday, by what's going to happen tomorrow. I will not be defined by the circumstances of my life. I will be defined by the way that God defined me, which is said, I was made in the image of Christ. I am a son. I am a daughter of the King. I will live with Him forever. I will not be defined the way the world wants to define me. I am a follower of Jesus, and He loves me and knows my name. I get excited about that. I don't know why I did that. Sometimes I just do things. What would it look like if we really grasped that? Say, I, I want that, but how do I do that? How do I live the virtuous life and come to the place where I dwell on that which is excellent? Well, ask yourself, what is excellent? God. God is excellent. Every part about God is excellent. And you know what happens when you focus on what is excellent and you allow that transformation to happen where you say, God is excellent. I'm going to focus on excellent. He begins to transform you into the man or the woman who lives the life of integrity, even when no one else notices, who lives the life that is of excellence and ends up happening to a place where you come to the realization that I'm going to live this life. What results in that is you live a life that is, wait for it, praise worthy. Oh, that's the next word. Whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Praiseworthy literally defined means worthy of commendation of praise. So what is praiseworthy? God. Because we are image bearers, we are offered to bring him praise. And the way that we live our life ultimately is the way that we give him his accolades. It's the way that we show that we're living our life the way we should. Spoiler alert, we actually do this by design. 
So you have heard a lot of songs today with the word worthy in it. Worthy means accolades. Worthy means worship. We worship what is worth it. Worth it equals worthy. And the reason that we come together and we sing the songs and for reminding us, it reminds us, it, it propels us, it, it allows us in our darkest moments to say God is still on his throne. If you're in deep despair, sing a song to Jesus and see if you can stay in deep despair. Because when you focus on praise, it lifts you, it compels you, it propels you forward. And that's a powerful thing. Here's where we find peace. So how do we know if we're living a life that is praiseworthy? Philippians 4 through 7, if you didn't remember, I said a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, catch you up. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 is how you know. Philippians 4 through 7 is the way, I mean, is the 8 through 9 are the applications. 4 through 7 is how you know. Okay, so let's look back at Philippians 4 through 7. How you know if you're living a life of peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. How you doing? But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, love, I love this next verse. This verse is so powerful. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding— even that of you, or your spouse, or your mom and dad, or the boss, or your pastor, amen and amen, or anybody that you think is the wisest person in the world who isn't your pastor, right? All those things, it surpasses all those. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where? In Christ Jesus. It's like we're dwelling in the presence of of Christ Jesus. Do you get it? So the peace of God will guard your hearts when you dwell in Christ Jesus. And people will sit there. Have you ever looked around and seen somebody who's going through a great tragedy and they're going, how are they doing that? I don't understand how they're doing it. It's almost as if they're living in such a way that surpasses all understanding. They just lost their job, and yet they're at peace. How are they doing that? It's almost as if they're doing it in a way that surpasses all understanding. Their life seems to be crumbling. How are they able to do that? It's almost as if they're able to live a life that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because they're dwelling in the presence of God. So, I got, a, I got a little spoiler for you, and, and I hope that you aren't mad because I've, we've kind of been fooling you a little bit. Not really, but I wanted to set it up like that. The whole Bible whispers the same story. In Philippians 4, 8, and 9 is the story of the gospel. And the gospel literally translated means good news. It's the story of how we are saved. And so here's what it looks like. You, got, you have to recognize how you're living. You have to repent. You'll have to let restoration come in, and then you rejoice. This is what it means. So here's the way this works. I live my life. I realize I've made a mistake. What am I doing when I realize I made a mistake? I'm recognizing that I am a sinner in need of the Lord. I then repent. 
realizing he's the only way that I can have hope and joy. And then I allow him to begin to restore the brokenness that only God can put together, define my dignity, define the son or the daughter that I was made to be, define the restoration back into a healing right relationship with God. And then I start rejoicing. Why? Because I'm not worthy of this. I, I've messed up my life. And I start realizing that God deserves all the accolades because I was down here and he wants to lift me up. And I was sitting here broken and he wants to lift me up. And then as I rejoice, I start seeing, uh-oh, I just messed up again. And then I got to repent again. And then I got to restore again. And then I rejoice. And it goes on and on and on and on. And here's the good news. For those of you who are in a different phase, maybe you're not in the I feel like rejoicing phase. As long as you're in one of these phases, you're living the gospel. That's good. Because it will compel us to find and to give him the accolades of his worthiness. You want to find peace? You have to rejoice in the God who gives you salvation. Gives you salvation. And to rejoice is to be glad. It's a command. The Bible commands us to rejoice. When? Always. So Daniel, you said it's okay to not be okay. How do I rejoice when it's not okay? I'm going to give you a little early version of the Monday morning application, okay? The Monday morning application, this is rejoice in every circumstance. Rejoice in every circumstance. So the way this looks like as we do this, in the good times, in the good things, give thanks. Psalms 9, 1 through 2 says this, I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will declare all your wondrous works. I will rejoice and boast about you, and I will sing about your name, Most High. Are you rejoicing in the good times? In other words, are you giving him thanks? Got the promotion? Are you sitting there going, I am awesome? She said yes. Woohoo! I'm a catch. Do you rejoice at all times? Do you sit there and go, God is good? And and, and every moment, do you sit there and give him the praise that he's due? Do you give him the glory that he's due? Do you sit there and go, God, thank you for the blessings of what you brought me through? When you've brought out of the mire, when you've brought out of the misery, when you've been brought out of that brokenness, when when you used to think, I will never see the sun shine again after that divorce, and then 13 years later, you start going, man, today the sun is shining bright. Have you ever paused to say, God, thank you that I'm no longer feeling that way, that you have restored me into my right relationship with you, that you have brought me up out of the misery, that you have brought out of the mire. God, I give you the accolades because you are worthy. Have you ever paused to thank God? Maybe, just maybe, that's a sign of how selfish we are and that we aren't really dwelling in the presence and the peace of God because we don't say thank you. We have to give good thanks in the good times. But I got good news for you, too, because we're not always in the good times. In the trials, we need to give perspective. If you ever want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you're ever going through a difficult time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and you're not in a bad time, be prepared because God might be preparing you for a bad time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Skip to verse 8. 
For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So here's what it is. It's perspective. Going through a hard time, so are the people of Philippians. Going through difficult times, so is your neighbor. Going through a difficult time, do you feel crushed? Do you feel perplexed? Do you feel like you're in despair? Do you wonder how tomorrow is going to turn out? Are you playing the what-if game and you just can't wrap your head around it? Are you sitting here going, I don't know if tomorrow is going to be okay? Are you looking into the future and sitting there going, I hope there's some, some tendency, some, something I can cling to. I hope there's some hope for tomorrow. There is. Gain perspective. Because God is still on his throne. And this world cannot destroy you. This world cannot defeat you. You can be crushed, but not, I mean, you can be crowded in, but not crushed. You can be in deep moments of despair, but not defeated. Why? Because God is still on his throat. Nothing can take that away. Yet there's another level. Another level that sometimes says that life sometimes really is bad. And in despair, God wants us to live a life that gives hope, rejoicing in that. Despair are those moments where everything literally does crash around you. Not the what if, it has. If you've never been there, you eventually will be. And despair is a place where we as the church need to walk beside people and wrap their arms and say, it's okay to not be okay, but, but we need to whisper in their ears, Jesus has this. I'm going to weep with you. One of my favorite songs right now is a Wren Collective song called, I Weep, He Weeps With You. And I love that, that fact that God weeps with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. But how do we rejoice in those moments when you're sitting there going through the divorce right then, when you're sitting there going through the trial right then, when you're sitting there going through whatever circumstance of your life? How do you rejoice right then? I got good news for you. You don't even have to know how to do that. Romans 8, 26 says this. Listen to the power of these words. And if you're in one of these situations right now, I want you to know I'm so sorry, but listen to God's words over you. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Spirit's capitalized because it means the Holy Spirit. Because we do not know what to pray for, as we should. We don't have the words to offer. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with an unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God The power of those words saying that God himself intervenes for you to say what you need when you don't know what you need. When you don't know what to cry, when you don't know how to ask for you, when you don't know how to climb out of the pit that you're in. The power of the Spirit intervenes for you to the Father on your behalf saying, I will not leave you there. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So we have hope even in despair. Now, 
Let's back up for one second. Because Daniel, you said the Monday morning application was rejoice in all things, right? But realistically, everybody in this room is in one of those three places. If you're in a good time, I want you to rejoice saying, God, thank you. If you're feeling like the what-if game, I want you to guard the what-if game and replace it with the truth. Repent. Allow them to restore you. But gain some perspective. You can't be defeated by whatever's in your path. And if you're despair, I want you to know you won't be there forever. And we want to weep with you. And remind you that God is weeping with you. You see, the God of this universe understands tears. He made them. And he understands what it's like to groan and to weep because he allowed his son, Jesus, to come down to earth and to die on a cross for you and I. To watch him be pierced and broken. To watch an innocent man, not only innocent, but his very son, to take on our shame, to take on our brokenness, to be restored so that you and I can be restored. And ultimately we find peace by walking with him. Ultimately we find peace when we find that that's what we were made for, a right relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to that today. William was baptized. You could be baptized soon. Say, what does that look like? Is it, am I just getting wet? No, it means you're going to live your life the rest of your days trying to dwell in the presence of God. Does he want me? Yes. That's why he died for you. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. Say, I don't understand what that means. It says, Jesus, come in. I'm going to get to know you more. Would you, if you're willing to do that, go by the next step space on the way out and say, hey, I want to know what this following Jesus is all about. And to those of us in the church, those of us who are followers already, don't you dare by the lie that your life is so difficult that Jesus doesn't care. Don't dare by your life that tomorrow has no hope. Don't dare by the lie that the enemy wants to whisper that you're not good enough. You're a child of the king. So here's what I would say. If your marriage is struggling, dive into the presence of God. Even more than trying to fix your marriage. Let God do that. If the divorce has already happened and you don't know what to do, dive into the presence of God. If you've just lost your job, dive into the presence of God. If you're sitting there going, how do I raise these kids? Dive into the presence of God. If you're going through depression, dive into the presence of God. Seek counseling help if needed to do that too. In whatever circumstances, if you're struggling with the addiction, dive into the presence of God and get help. If whatever situation you're going through, dive into the presence of God. Dwell with Him and find that He lifts you up because He is worthy of our praise and we will rejoice in all circumstances. And this is what it looks like. We recognize that we need Him. We repent when we don't. We allow him to restore us. And then we rejoice because we can, because he is worthy of all honor. He is the great I am, the great Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. He is our advocate, our judge, our friend, our healer, our source of hope, our source of strength. Nothing can defeat us. Why? Because he is God and he is still on his throne. And we will rejoice because he is king. And when we as a church remember that and place him as the priority, nothing can defeat us. And the peace of God, which surpasses all 
understanding will guard your hearts and minds in the presence of Christ Jesus. Sound good? Let's do it together. So, Father, may we be your church. And when we fail and fall short, because we will, help us to turn back to you. Oh God, in this room, I know that there are people who are weeping. And while there may be no tears in their eyes right now, their heart is yearning and longing for a a sense of hope and restoration. Would you come in and intervene on their behalf? God, I pray this morning that brokenness is restored. That our longings are satisfied with the sweetness of your presence. That we don't leave here on an emotional high. We leave here looking for you. Every moment of every day so that every breath may declare that you are worthy and that we may live and dwell in peace. Thank you, God. Amen.